Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include fair lending, my interview with Secure Insights' Andrew Lippett on the latest in wire and title fraud, including the most up-to-date solutions to combat bad actors, and in capital markets, the Fed and renegotiations are the focus. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Lender Toolkit. Make 2024 your most profitable year yet with Lender Toolkit's AI-powered AI underwriter and PRISM borrower income automation tools. You'll be able to get loans approved in under two minutes. And by providing lightning-fast underwriting decisioning, your market reputation with borrowers and realtors will soar, which means more repeat and referral business. Lender Toolkit's platform solutions have fundamentally transformed how business is done, skyrocketing profitability, and increasing employee happiness. Boy, changes in inflation really hit everyone. Now, if you're shopping for a civil penalty from the CFPB, it's going to cost you over 5% more in 2024 versus 2023. One thing that doesn't seem to change is discrimination, either in properties or borrowers, and it sure grabs the attention of regulators. Everyone knows intentional discrimination in lending is illegal, so why would a company intentionally discriminate against Armenians? Unless that company was run by certain ethnic Turkic people, it's hard to say it is due to ethnic hatred, so why did Citi enter into a consent order with the CFPB over intentional Armenian discrimination? It obviously raises the conflict between fair lending and some risk management efforts that cross the line. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the podcast, Secure Insights' Andrew Lippett, to talk about the latest in the wire and title fraud space, including the most up-to-date solutions to combat bad actors. He's president and CEO of Secure Insight, which is focused on risk prevention through innovation. He founded Secure Insight after 10 years of exploring answers to weaknesses he perceived in the area of risk management in the mortgage industry. He spent more than two decades as an attorney and loss mitigation specialist, and regularly speaks about enhanced risk management to lenders around the country, and is known as an authority on mortgage banking issues. Electronic payment fraud in general. It's kind of a two-sided coin because you would think, hey, there's all this technology in place to stop fraud. But at the same time, these actors are getting, or these bad actors are getting more advanced and capable in a lot of ways. So how would you sum up the overall threat, especially as technology continues to progress and get more advanced? Well, it's it's a broad topic, as you mentioned. So electronic payment fraud could mean anything from, um, you know, stealing credit card numbers to um, uh, intercepting uh, wires, uh, wire information and, and substituting new information to divert funds. You know, it could be um, creating false identities to steal b- bank accounts. What, what, when I talk about, elect- about electronic payment fraud, I'm primarily focused as it relates to the mortgage banking and real estate industry in the phenomenon that has developed whereby folks are um, gaining access illegally to emails and then creating or mimicking email addresses so that they can substitute 
uh, false payment instructions that allows funds to be diverted to the wrong party, um, in most cases, never to be seen again. And those people that have been victimized would include lawyers, real estate agents, buyers, sellers, and banks. So um, we're focused primarily on that. And there has been an increase in awareness and education, uh, but a lot of the um, the problem is that the criminals are, are very sophisticated and uh, it's very easy in a fast-moving world, in a fast-moving work environment to be duped when you're getting dozens, maybe even hundreds of emails a day and not realizing that someone that you're engaging with or information you're receiving is not accurate. It's false, deliberately so, to steal money. And so it's it's the number one white crime uh, problem in America right now, with uh, with well over a hundred billion dollars in losses um, annually, according to the FBI. And uh, so it's a, it's a major major problem. And if you talk to anyone in the industry, whether they're a lender or t- title or settlement uh, firm or an, a, an attorney, they're very concerned about this issue. And there's only so much you can do with education. So. That's why we jumped in to develop a tool to try to make it easier for folks to uh, determine whether or not an account that they're sending funds to electronically is really owned by the person that they think it is or the entity that they think it is, at the, you know, and the number and the bank information is all correct. I assume you mean white collar crime rather than white crime. We don't want to make this racial, uh, have racial intonations here, correct? Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, I have a question, kind of a, a layman question on a personal level here. Uh, when I think about these fraud actions that happen, say say I wire money to the wrong bank account and somebody now has money that they shouldn't have and it's fraud. Isn't it pretty easy for the government to track this down and prosecute these criminals? How do they How do they get away with it? How is the reward worth the risk in their mind? Well, it depends on how quickly it can be uncovered. There are steps um, where law enforcement can actually step in and work with the bank to, you know, reverse a wire and to prevent the money pit from being withdrawn. But it's a question of timing. So if it takes place and you don't realize it for like 24, 48, 72 hours, the problem is the bad actor has already moved the money again. And in most cases, it's outside of the United States. Got it. So let's talk wire fraud and closing fraud specifically. Uh, Are there what's kind of the latest happenings there in terms of uh, can you provide statistics about what's going on or how much is at risk? Those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, the the numbers just keep increasing. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but we're in a down market now. And down markets are like prime time for criminals. And so all types of fraud increases, and it happens for a a large number of reasons, um, not the least of which lenders are understaffed, maybe um, folks are undertrained, and you have, you have, uh, uh, you know, in times where there's financial stress, there's more pressure to commit a crime in order to gain a financial advantage. Um, You also have situations where People who formerly were making a lot of money in the boom of the market now are not making it, and they have to figure out a way how to maintain their lifestyle and pay their bills and everything. 
So an overall fraud is on on the rise uh, in in this time period. So there's a there is a large increase in in uh, fraud claims and and fraudulent crimes since the market has gone down. Now wire fraud, it's a relatively new phenomenon. So we weren't talking about it 15 years ago. We probably weren't talking about it 10 years ago, but we have been talking it for maybe less the last five to seven years. It's really become a major issue. And the um, the problem is that there are many parties to financial transactions. And so you know, large banks, sophisticated institutions tend to have very sophisticated data privacy, data security controls, and operational risk controls that allows them to be able to uncover these things and prevent them. You know, they have IT departments that are trained to um, run regular testing, uh, not only of employees, but their own systems just to make sure that, you know, they're as safe as possible. Even with that being the case, we read hear all the time about, you know, data security breaches and so on, even at large entities. Uh, the, the biggest one was 23andMe recently. I just got an email from them saying that they were, they were hacked and uh, information was lost. Um, but then you bring it down to the more granular level with smaller banks, regional banks, and even small firms like law firms and settlement firms and so on. Who don't really have the sophistication, they don't have the tools, they don't have the education to really uh, prevent these types of things from happening. And so you put all that that together and you have a problem that just keeps growing despite best efforts. So it's not for a lack of trying, but um, you know, every time you know someone comes out with a tool or comes out with a process or some new information to help people protect themselves. Well, the criminals, you know, they they learn the same information too. And they always try to see, they always uh, try to uh, figure out a way around it. Um, you know, fraud and crime will always be with us. And it's just amazing how sophisticated folks are. So it's, it is a, a growing uh, and a major problem right now. That's a very good point. So I want to talk secure insight for a minute here whether it's banks, lenders, or closing professionals. Uh, can you explain the necessity of working with you and, and some of the benefits uh, that these people can get from uh, having having a relationship with Secure Insight? Sure. So Secure Insight's um, uh, primary uh, uh, tool that it, it sells is sold to banks, and it is, it's called Closing Guard. And, and what it does is that it meets or fulfills uh, two important uh, operational risk requirements for banks. One is that they know their uh, third-party service providers. Who are they doing business with? Know your your vendor type of thing. And so we do a deep dive risk assessment and assign a risk rating to various professionals uh, who are attorneys, title agents, escrow officers, even notaries, um, who have some access either to a lender's Closing documents, which would include a borrower's personal information and or the funds uh, that are wired to the closing table. And so we do that type of analysis, that type of risk assessment. We monitor those folks on an ongoing basis for risk, and it's all maintained in a a large database that folks can access. And we've vetted approximately 90,000 professionals in all 50 states since our inception. 
And that's primarily, like I said, it's a tool that is sold to lenders and it's to help them to meet their regulatory and compliance obligations. But recently, we've uh, developed a new tool, which we call TruePay, which I'm, I'm happy to tell you about, which is actually designed for the settlement professionals. Because once the money gets to the table, the risk doesn't stop, right? So we've protected the lender's money and we've, we've supervised about 20 million residential closing transactions with zero wire fraud losses. But once the money gets to the table, now it's in the hands of some of these maybe less sophisticated uh, actors within the, um, the, the, the process. Uh, maybe they are a small firm. They don't have the expertise. They don't have the skill. They don't have the tools to prevent themselves from becoming victims of electronic payment fraud or wire fraud. Uh, and they end up sending money from the closing table out to a third party whom they think is, you know, Mr. Gray, and it's actually Mr. Jones. And so the money gets lost. And, you know, I was doing a um, just a quick Google search the other day. Just I always check, try to check the headlines and the stories from around the country on these issues and, you know, found easily found four instances where one, an attorney lost two hundred and forty thousand dollars. Another, a seller lost. Um, $110,000. And the third, a, uh, a realtor lost $50,000 and in all different states around the country. And these are all recent. So these are real numbers, real uh, financial harm impacting people. And so TruePay is meant to close the gap. So now the tool is available to the attorney, title agent, escrow officer. So before they send that electronic payment out, whatever means they send it, they're going to verify that the recipient is who they say they are at the bank where it's supposed to be. When you're talking big money transactions here, is the cost to protect against them also big money? Is it is it worth the cost? Is it relatively inexpensive for these companies? I think it will. It's very, very inexpensive. Um, you know, technology allows us to 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 do these types of things in a much more efficient manner than the than the old days. Let's take, for example, the settlement professionals we, we, I was talking about. So today, many of them are making phone calls. Maybe they hire staff to verify the instructions. And, um, you know, they've got to call three, four. And there's an average of three to six payoffs at a, at a closing. There may be more in a refinance. So an average of three to six um, electronic payments that they're sending out. And so they're making telephone calls. They're trying to verify. They have to document it is because is, documentation is required to maintain their um, cyber insurance coverage and in some cases their E&O coverage and also to meet um, Alta's best practices for managing, you know, the payoffs of uh, electronic payments for um, mortgage payoffs and, and other um, monies that are um, being sent out at the closing table. And so it's uh, you know it's a laborious process. It's very labor intensive, and um, it's largely uh, you know just look at the numbers. It's not as effective as it could be. And so through our platform, it's really uh, what they're going to do is just they drop the uh, name of the bank, the routing and account number in, and they push a button and they get an instant response as to whether or not that is. You know that account is owned by the the entity or the individual uh, that they're seeking to send the money to, and the cost of it is very very slow, uh, low. It's I think in bulk it's like a dollar thirty eight 
um, per pull. And, um, you know, if they, if you just want to try it out a few times, I think the highest charge is $4. So we're talking about really a nominal amount of money in order to get greater uh, comfort that wherever you're sending the money at the closing is getting to the right place. Well, I want to close by asking you to look ahead to the future here. And as you alluded, these act, these bad actors are very sophisticated. As technology moves forward rapidly, as these actors stay on top of fraud or find new ways, how do you combat that uh, as a company that's working at risk prevention? Well, you know, there, there, there's blockchain has been talked about, and, and we've developed, um, you know, some technology enhancements to our our tools that will allow us to be able to be a part of a blockchain solution. Um, and, you know, that's that's one. I mean, there are folks out there who are working on um, building a um, an environment or a platform, a digital platform, where instead of, you know, independent, you know, emails and calls and so on, occurring outside you know in an in an unprotected environment every communication every document exchange and so on will take place within this protected environment where every party has to register their identity has to be verified and you know all the communications are secure um so that's that's another angle of looking at it i mean i think that everyone who's involved in in banking and finance realizes that we are on a relatively fast train towards a total digital financial world where all transactions are going to be digital. And along with that, I think you're going to have some kind of combination of blockchain and, and um, uh, you know, uh, identity verification features that are going to uh, decrease the likelihood even further of a crime being committed. I don't believe that there's any solution either now or on the horizon that's going to totally eliminate the crime because criminals are very sophisticated. And even blockchain, even though it's touted as being the most secure uh, process for transferring information um, safely, you know, even that I don't believe could, is immune from um, potentially being breached. So vigilance really is the word of the day. You use as many tools as you as you possibly can, try to, the most efficient, most effective tools, and you educate yourself and just be vigilant. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, you know, crime has always been with us. It always will be with us. And so we just have need to make sure we have the right tools that are available that are the most current to give us the best chance not to become a victim. Very well put. Andrew, I really appreciate the time. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you in 2024 about uh, the ways that fraud is advancing and being com combated, more importantly. Thank you, Robbie. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and have a terrific holiday. Inflation and the Fed. The Consumer Price Index, or CPI for November, continued to show a trend of easing prices in gasoline and food, while prices for services remain sticky. Over the last year, headline prices rose 3.1%, while core prices were up 4.0%. Over the last three months, core CPI averaged 3.4% on an annualized basis, pointing toward continued improvement in the near term. 
Lower prices spurred consumer spending, which was estimated to have increased 0.9% on an inflation-adjusted basis, and could bolster fourth-quarter GDP. Slowing inflation over the autumn also led FOMC members to adjust their expectations for PCE, or personal consumption expenditure, as well as the future path of the Fed funds rate. In his post-statement press conference, Fed Chair Powell noted that the current rate is likely at or near its peak. Additionally, the dot plot, which aggregates FOMC members' expectations for the path of the Fed funds rate, showed an average projection of 75 basis points of easing in 2024. Mortgage rates responded favorably to the news and were at their lowest levels since the summer at the end of the week. New York Fed President Williams said that the Fed wasn't really talking about rate cuts right now and was more focused on whether policy is in the right place. Atlanta Fed President Bostich said he supported two rate cuts next year, but of course everything is data dependent. Well, capital market staffs are having to deal with LOs and AEs requests for lower rates on loans that have already been locked. This week's economic calendar includes updates on housing starts and building permits, consumer confidence, existing home sales, personal income and spending, and new home sales. Today's calendar is light, which is the NHB housing market index due out later this morning. We begin the week with lower coupon agency MBS prices, better by around an eighth, not so much in higher coupons given the prepayment risk. And the 10-year yielding 3.89 after falling 30 basis points last week to close Friday at 3.93%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. An old man calls his son and says, listen, your mother and I are getting divorced. 45 years of misery is enough. Dad, what are you talking about? The son says. We can't stand the sight of each other any longer, he says. I'm sick of her face, and I'm sick of talking about this. So call your sister and tell her. And he hangs up. Now the son is worried. He calls his sister, and she shouts, Like hell, they're getting divorced. She calls their father immediately. You're not getting divorced. Don't do another thing. The two of us are flying home tomorrow to talk about this. Until then, don't call a lawyer. Don't file a paper. Do you hear me? And she hangs up the phone. The old man turns to his wife and says, Okay, they're both coming for Christmas and paying their own airfares. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Lender Toolkit, and its AI-powered AI underwriter and Prism borrower income automation tools. Get loans approved in under two minutes. By providing lightning-fast underwriting decisions, your market reputation with borrowers and realtors will soar. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.